Uh, welcome to Sojourn Church. Um, we, uh, we, we exist for the, the glory of Jesus and for uh, the mission of Jesus and the message of Jesus uh, to ourselves, to our city, all the way around our world. And uh, we believe that every follower of Jesus Christ is, uh, is a missionary and every follower of Christ is a minister. That's just what the Bible tells us, that I as um, one of the pastors here, it's not that I'm the minister and then there's everybody else who's a part of the church. It's that everybody that's part of the church is a minister or a missionary, minister and missionary. And uh, so we believe that. And we believe heavily in the Bible. Uh, what we do is we uh, uh, primarily just kind of teach through the Bible. Um, this time up here is not just to be about David Few and what my thoughts are and about what my worldview is and about how I think you need to order your life, but I'm supposed to be up here as a mouthpiece of Jesus through the Bible uh, and so that Christ is actually preaching. Now, it's a mix. Uh, you're going to get a mixed bag. You're going to get my opinion about some things, and I would say take my opinions lightly. Um, uh, weigh them, and as the Lord, if he, if he presses on them and says, yes, this is from from me, then, then, then listen to it. But the most important thing is that you would be what's called a Berean. Uh, that's the ones who they would search the scriptures. And they would allow that to be their primary source and teacher. And so that is, that is what we believe is the Bible is our only scripture and it's the authority that's over us. Uh, today, uh, we're talking about, talking about the Sabbath. Um, uh, what we see in these stories of Jesus uh, is that the legalists, the legalists were always offended. And legalists, even these days, they're always offended. And they're the ones, uh, and sometimes I am that guy, that they would say, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. In this last story that we're in, in Mark chapter 2, they were looking at things and saying, you don't fast correctly. And in this story, they're going to look at Jesus and his disciples and say, you don't rest correctly. All right? Now, how many of you guys in here, you... You work. You work really hard. You work long hours. You need a day off. You need some rest. And, and you, you do need rest. You do need to get rest. God made you to rest. And just at a practical, practical level, I mean, we have to rest every day. Uh, there may be some all-nighters that you have to pull. Any students in here or any post-students, you remember, remember those days? What's the, what's the longest that, that uh, some of you guys have gone without sleep, for, uh, especially for studies. Anybody in here? What? Four days. Okay, all right. That's, you took it. You got the ringer on that one. Um, all right, so, so sometimes you can, you can do that. You can do it every once in a while, but you can't live that way. Uh, scientists debate about what the correct amount of sleep is that people need to have, and most fall within, within the range of six to eight hours is what they say most people need to have for sleep. There's some people that may need a little less than that. Uh, one of my old bosses years ago, every night, it was four to five hours every night. I don't know how in the world um, that he did it, but it was just the way his body w- was. But that's a very rare person. Most people, six to eight hours. Sometimes you're not going to get get a full six to eight hours. Thanks, late night pizza. Um, some weeks, you're not going to get all the sleep that you need. Thanks, flu virus, or thanks, jet lag. Um, some months, you're not going to get all you sleep because of insomnia. Thanks, stress. Some seasons, you're not going to get all the sleep you need. 
Thanks, newborn kids. It's just a way of life. Um, If you go long without rest, you will be unhealthy. If you go long without rest, it shows that you have an unhealthy belief system. Something's wrong with your worldview. Something's wrong with what you believe. Not what you say that you believe, but what you really do believe. Um, Your rhythm, listen to me, your rhythm of rest declares what you believe about the work of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? Your rhythm of rest declares what you believe about the work of Jesus Christ. And, and those, it's important to grapple with those terms. Because if we never rest, it's because we think we must always work. And that means you don't understand grace. You don't understand the gospel. Guys, Jesus is the one that worked so that we could actually rest in salvation. Jesus actually is our rest, and he's the Lord of our rest. And some of us, what we need to do is we need to repent, and we need to believe in the gospel, just like the book of Mark continually is showing us over and over, repent and believe the gospel. Repent of our, our worldview, our, our works system. Repent of not resting enough because we're trusting in ourselves rather than God and believe the gospel. Let's pray and we're going to unpack this. God, uh, we pray that you would come in a special and specific way and that you do a transforming work. Would you, would you start in me, Lord? Uh, help me, Father, to repent of what I don't believe, God. Not what I say that I believe, but what I really believe in my words, my actions. That's what I believe. And help me, Lord, to see where I don't really trust you, where I really don't believe what you've said about the rhythms of life, God. Um, do a good work within us, Lord, to where in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, and the years ahead, that we'll in, fall into new rhythms that are gospel rhythms that bring great health, not only to our physical life, but mentally, emotionally, relationally, and certainly spiritually. God bless us today and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through uh, 3, verse 6. And uh, let me just read this whole passage and we'll... And we'll uh, start to dissect it. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are, they, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were, who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Um, there's the word of God. You guys, there's so much in this, and we're not going to unpack 
absolutely everything. And, and so there's, there's going to be a lot of places in which you could go and you can go a little bit deeper uh, in some areas. But I, I believe the Lord's got um, a really, really good message for us today. And I was telling uh, the worship team as we were praying uh, before, I said, guys, uh, I've, I've got everything planned out, but there's, there's no telling where the Holy Spirit may go with this. And so I'm actually pretty anxious to see where God says to slow down here and speed up in other areas. Um, uh, this first little section here, you know, it, it just talks about him and he's going through and they're, they're picking the heads of grain. And, and again, and they, they say to him, you know, want, look what he's doing. You know, why are they not being lawful on the Sabbath? Like I said, these guys are legalists. Legalists are offended. They're offended that you don't do things the way that they say you should do it. Um, uh, let me just read a little bit from Spurgeon uh, on this. According to some rabbis, if you, you might pick an ear of wheat on a Sabbath day, but if you rubbed it between your hands, that means, you know, get it to where you actually can get the grains. They said that that was a, sor- a sort of thieving, which was a kind of labor which, not, which could not be performed on the Sabbath. They had all sorts of ingenious restrictions, too ridiculous for us to quote. These disciples were therefore, according to them, chargeable with sin because they had plucked ears of corn and had performed the operation of threshing them on the Sabbath day. And we have some of the same sort of people living who take the smallest matter, which is altogether insignificant, and in which there's neither harm nor good, and magnify and distort it, and then make a man a grave offender, all for next to nothing. And so even as we, as we jump into this, this part of Scripture, is just be ready for God to kind of put His finger in your life. And I'm asking Him to continue to do that in my life as well, to show me where I may go to a place that's a place of truth, uh, a place... Uh, where this is, this is a place of best, uh, best design, uh, the way to follow God. And yet, I, will, I can take something that's secondary and make it primary, and I can become a judge in which I will, I will bring, bring division. How about yourself? Is there, is there something in, in your life? We'll press in a little bit, little bit more. Um, verse 25, he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. I don't have time to really get in the context uh, of this uh, right now, uh, but uh, if you looked at 1 Samuel 22, this is where the story was. Um, the high priest uh, was actually not Abiathar, but was Ahimelech. And so you got some folks that they're asking the questions, why is it that they said it was, it was the time of, of Abiathar and and not Ahimelech, and, and there's some different theories about that. And, and if you want to find out more about that, um, just uh, find me after that. Afterward, I'll be glad to point you in some directions uh, there. But, but basically, I mean, it was, it's that Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech. Ahimelech was, was the high priest during that time. He was the one that David actually went to. And uh, so, generally speaking, what a lot of theologians would say is, is it was probably a generalization or just kind of a, a, a general time frame around the time uh, of Abiathar, which later on was the high priest. Um, but it was Ahimelech at this point. But here's, here's the point of the story. That's not the point. What happened was during this time, the context in there, David, 
David was not king yet. Saul is king. David is married to Michael, Saul's daughter. Saul wants to kill David. He wants to kill him. You got Jonathan, his brother-in-law, his best friend, son of, of Saul as well, who said, I'm going to do everything that I can to help you and protect you. And, and, and they had this little arrow shooting thing that happened in the story before. Check it out, 1 Samuel 20, uh, 21. It's a really neat story, especially the friendship of David and Jonathan and how David was warned. And, and David fled. He fled for his life because he found out Saul wants to kill me now. And so he's fleeing for, for his life. This is what I believe the point that Jesus is bringing into the story is that there are times in which you're fleeing from your life. There's times in which you're in danger and what you need is you need sustenance. You need mercy to be given to you. You need people that will not follow the letter of the law, but will actually follow the heart of the law. And so he gave him what the Levitical priests were only supposed to eat. Only them. He gave it to, to David for him to be able to eat. And this, this bread was actually called the bread of presence, or it was called the show bread. It was the consecrated bread. And at the very end of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just a little bit more information, which is going to tie it all back to Jesus and the cross as you look at this, uh, this show bread. But, I mean, again, you can, you can kind of see where this is going. I mean, you've been T-boned in your own life, your enemy. You've got an enemy that's trying to destroy your name, your influence, destroy your position at your job or in the organization you're in, where do you go? Where do you go? You go to the, the bread of presence. You go to Jesus himself. You go to the bread of life. Psalm 56, uh, 33 through 4. It said, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me. Guys, God needs to be the one that we go to. He needs to be our refuge. He needs to be that, that, that bread of, of presence that we go to him and say, not only do I need sustenance, but I need your presence in my life. I need you to shield me. I need you to shelter me. I need you to do whatever it is that you ordain over my life. I'm coming to you and I'm just going to fit myself under your wing during this time. God, I come to you. You are, you are my refuge. God, you are my rest. You're my place of rest. You are my Sabbath. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because as we unpack what Sabbath is to be, even just very practically, because there's some very practical things that you need to do to rest in your life. But it's not rest from God. And as we'll see, it's not even rest from God's people. It's, it's rest within God and also with, with God's people. Verse 27, he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And this is one where, where Jesus gives incredible insight about the law. He's basically saying, look, guys, you have made yourself a slave to the rules to a point where you're in chains and you're weighed down. But in essence, I mean, and, and the word law many times... And, evangelical church circles. It's such a dirty word. Guys, the law is not bad. The law tells us what God's good design is. Where he says, this is what's best for you. Especially the, the Mosaic law. Not the Levitical laws and, and the things that the priests had to do back then. That's a, that's a little bit of a different story. And that's, that's uh, for what they would do during the, in the tabernacles and in, in the temples. 
and it, and it was something that pointed, pointed to what ultimately the kingdom of God was going to look like. But when God said, look, this is how you're really supposed to live, it's good. It's God's design for our life. But God's the one, God's the one that we're able to rest in. If he's, he's saying, I'm the Lord, even of the Sabbath, and I just throw this to you guys, if Jesus is the Lord... That means he gets to tell us what to do. It's just, isn't that, real, isn't that real plain and practical? I mean, maybe you're not like me. I know, you're, I know you are. But I mean, I, just, I, fight, I fight against him. I fight against his design. I fight against what he speaks to me. I try to convince him. I'm like, Jesus, no, uh, you, you're not seeing very clearly, God. Let me get a, get a notepad out. Let me let you know what need to do next. I mean, I, I do this in, in my own ways where I just, I don't trust him. But if he's Lord, he gets to tell me how to live. And if he's a good Lord, then it's good, the things he has to say. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The designs of God. And so as we, as we unpack, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time covering everything in the Bible about Sabbath now. There's going to be some times to do that in the future. But I do, I do want to make some, some comments and, and some practical application about what Sabbath is and what rest is. Um, God is, is the one that, that started the Sabbath. Um, uh, he, uh, even as Matt said earlier, I mean, he, in, in the days of, of creation, you have six days six days in which God brought creation and brought order and brought design and the way he managed things. And then on the sixth day, he, he stopped that type of work. Um, he didn't stop doing things. If he stopped doing things, the whole everything would have fallen apart. But he stopped doing that creative ordering thing in that same way for that day to show us. It's, there's time to stop and reflect. There's time to rest. There's a time to come back and to focus on not the creation and not the work, but the creator and the one who did the major work. Are you with me? That's what Sabbath is for. Not, the crea- not focusing on the creation, but focusing on the creator. Not focusing on our works, but focusing on his works. That's the gospel. That's what we're to do. That's what we're to do not just on Sundays. It's what God has, has given us to do every day. But what, what God does is, it real practically is, is from, from time past, as He's called the people of God together at a weekly, in a weekly place and time. And they would come, and, and though it's like we, we need to worship God and, and rest in God and love God every day of the week, this is our time to gather together. And we make much of our God. And that's what we're doing here today. And if you're in here and you're one of our friends that's not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a little bit of the inside track of what we're doing. Is, is it's kind of like a big family meeting every week where we come together and say, let's talk about how great our dad is. And if you're one of our friends that's in, you're not in the family, we'll just make it plain. We, we want you to be in the family. We want our friends to become our brothers become our sisters so that you too can can see how incredible how awesome God is what here's what God did not do God did not just spin a big top 
pull away and watch everything work itself out. That's the God of deism. What did he do? He stopped. He marveled at his creation and he enjoyed it for his own glory. He wants us to rest. He wants us to have a sense of being finished. I mean, the Sabbath initially, it was, it was the last day of the week. Now what we call, I mean, we, it's Sunday is not, not the Sabbath. I mean, you've got, um, uh, you got those that worship on the Sabbath. They worship on, on Saturdays. Um, we worship on, on Sundays because it's about the resurrection, but we also, we also put in the concepts of, of our worship because we transfer what they used to do in gathering and worshiping, making much of God, which was on the, on the, on the, uh, the seventh day, and we put it on the first day now, and we, we transfer those concepts of Sabbath uh, to it because that's what, what they did. They made the, the, the point being not just the Sabbath, the point being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're to be finished, to put a period on, on, on our weeks. Um, I used to hear some, some uh, different speakers that they say, there's a time in which you need, just need to say, Fido, forget it and drive on. There's a time in which you, you're like, okay, all right, this is, this is where I've been and here's all the baggage, here's all the crap in my life. And we just say, look, if we understand grace, if we understand forgiveness, to say it's covered, I'm not bound by it anymore, I turn away from it and I turn to the cross, and we drive on. We drive on. The week is over. Don't be overcome with the failures of last week. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. And that's what we need to do every week, is we need to be able to declare that, to say, Jesus, you said it is finished, and I say that about my week. It is finished. It's done. And God, you've all the good things in my last week, get the glory for it, Lord. And all the bad stuff I take the credit for, but you've already paid for it. That is great news. It's finished. Don't be puffed up by our accomplishments from last week as well. And rather focus on Jesus' accomplishment on the cross and be humbled. It is finished. There are seasons in your life that you're going to work seven days a week. You're going to. Um, these shouldn't last long. You just are not made to work seven days a week. Your body is not healthy if you continue that pattern. Your family, if, you have, if you're living with a family, your family is not healthy if you have a long-term pattern of working seven days a week. Resting is actually, a, it's a faith. It's a faith issue. It's, it's saying, God, I'm not the Savior. It's saying, God, I, I can't accomplish it all. Because, you know what? If we all put another 8 or 10 or 12 hours, added that to our week, could we get a lot more accomplished? Yeah, we could. But you know what that means? It means you're trusting yourself trust in yourself. It reminds us if we take a rest, if we, if we have a day that we rest, it reminds us that we are not Superman, that we're not the ultimate provider. Resting reminds us to be content with what we can accomplish and to set, listen, and to set our standard of living there instead of higher. Did you hear me? 
There's only so much you can do if you're working five or, or six days a week. Some of you all know you can do four days. You do four tens or, or uh, three twelves, you know, however it may work. But, it, but it's important that we don't work seven days a week and that we look and say, here's what I can reasonably accomplish. Here's the kind of money that, that I, I, can, I can make during that time. And to practice the discipline of saying, all right, God, we're going to live at or below our means. It's kind of uncommon here in America to think that way, to live below your means, to live at a level that's sustainable with a day of rest, with a day of rest. There's a scripture in, in Psalm 46, 10 through 11, says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's a time to cease striving, what the Bible says. That we, that we stop. That we're, we're still. And we know that He's God, not you. That He's God, not your employer. Not your career. Not your salary. That He's God. And He's the one to be exalted. Let's talk a little bit about what Sabbath is supposed to be for us. That if we, I believe we're supposed to follow His example, of God's example, that what would it mean to, to say, God, I want to I wanna also marvel at what You've accomplished. I want to marvel at You, God, as Creator. I want to marvel at what You've accomplished what it mean that in the rhythms of your life, and you can't do this every week, but to where you get out into the beauty of creation, to where you look and say, God, I, I want to see what you've done with your hands. I want to see the, the beauty of how you've, you've made this world and this, this earth. The beauty of what he's done in, in people, which people are far more valuable than any mountain or any river. And to say, God, I, I want to get around other people. And I want to marvel at what you've done in others. That means strategic relationships. That means spirit-led conversations that you have to where you're not just, you're not just on, on, on coast you know, in your relationships, but actually you're looking for what is marvelous in one another. And then you tell them, so you know what? I just want you to know. Man, I say, Rodney, I just want you to know, man, that you are the, one of the most outgoing people you can bring a smile to a person's face so quickly. That's God's design in you. I marvel in that. Because I, I, I don't see that in others like I see it in you. For us, for us to do that, to genuinely be able to look into one another's lives, and we, we marvel. We marvel at what God has done. Sabbath needs to be a time in which we're very, we're very grateful for where we are having an attitude of gratitude, thanking God for our skills, thanking Him for our abilities, thanking Him for our health. I mean, for those of you who aren't dead yet or you're not paralyzed in here, you've got a bunch to thank God for, a time to stop, reflect, say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done. Enjoy God. Enjoy His accomplishments. Uh, I believe it's the Sabbath not only supposed to be, be, be for us in those areas, but the Sabbath is supposed to be for us in a time that we cease striving for our own salvation. Guys, in essence, the cross and the resurrection of Christ is clarified that we must cease working for the approval of God. 
That, this is not, this is not what the Bible says. But in, in a, in a sense, in a sense, you can almost look at what the cross did. And it's like he brought us into a spiritual season of Sabbath. From then on, the point of salvation is God brings us into rest. You cease from striving. You cease from all works to say, God, this is what will get me closer to you. This is what will impress you, God. This is what will impress others. You can be released from all of that and you can rest the rest of your life in the gospel because of grace. That is what the cross has done. It is a season. It's a lifetime of rest, at least spiritually. And and so therefore, again, I mean, practically speaking, I mean, the people of God, we come together. We come together on what we call the resurrection day. We gather each week to declare that we can rest because Jesus did the work. And that's why we worship and why we worship together to make much of Him. And it's the reason why we rest because He is our rest. Listen, when you think about your Sabbath, when you think about your time off, I, I just challenge you, don't make your Sabbath about you. Make your Sabbath about Him. Don't clench so tightly and so legalistically even about what your Sabbath has got to look like. Be open to what God wants to do about it. Now, by the way, I, I, I mean, even as we talk about Sabbath and a day off, and, and some, if, if, we call, if we're going to call Sunday our Sabbath, I mean, there's people that are, that are working. You know, I'm, I mean, it's my job, and so it's easy, easy for me. But we've got people, a lot of volunteers and people discipling kids and all that. Uh, I just want you to know that this story that we're getting into, we're about to, about to hit this, this portion where he heals this man on the Sabbath, shows us, shows us and applauds those of you who you serve others and you teach others and you bless others on the Sabbath because God wants others to rest too. God wants others to experience him too. And so you can actually rest by helping others to rest in Christ. So I applaud you guys. I applaud you for being a people that you say, man, a church, is, a church is a people that we come together and we're a big family and people have all kinds of gifts and abilities and we want to, we want to serve one another and we want to point one another to Jesus Christ. Um, let me give a, another couple of practical things. Um, something that I think, again, just, and this, this tip I'm going to kind of give you is relevant to uh, our culture in America, but probably not duplicatable in a lot of other countries. So if you're listening to this in the future from somewhere else, but in America, there's many of you, you've got the ability to work five days, five days a week and, and have a weekend. And my challenge to you that if you do that is that you would work five days, you just kind of think of it as you work five days outside the home, the sixth day, work, work within your home, within your own family, and then have a day in which you're able to celebrate the grace of God with, with the church, with other Christians, which is God's plan. Um, some of you, you only have one day off. And if you have only one day off, that is your Sabbath. That is your time. And if that's the case, then that day, as, as many people over history only had one day off, many people around the world only have one day off, is this a day to say, all right, God, we're going to rest together with you. We're going to also rest together with the people of God. If you've got 
a couple days off, again, you can kind of split that up a little bit very practically. Um, uh, this, it's the summer season here at Sojourn. Um, I challenge you guys to, to treat the summer season in kind of a, a, a Sabbath type of a way. There's opportunities during the summer season among neighbors and among friends that people just, it's different, isn't it? You just treat this type of the year differently. And it's time when people go away and they have vacations, which is an, an awesome thing to do if you're able to do that. Uh, but, and I challenge you that maybe you would lighten up from some of the, the tight schedules that you have and make more time for relationships. Make more time with, with Christians, with your neighbors, with your unbelieving friends that, man, barbecue together, invite people over and, hey, let's make pizza together. Go to the river, go kayaking, go hiking together. Take time together. Take time together during this season. Now let's jump into this story where Jesus walks it out. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. A withered hand that just meant it, meant it was paralyzed and it was shrunken. Um, this reminds me of my dad. My dad had polio uh, in his left arm when he was four, and his whole arm shrunk and paralyzed. So I can see it very clearly in my mind what this guy's hand probably looked like. And, and, and honestly, though the hardship of my dad's polio is what helped to form him to be such a strong man, I still pretty consistently say, God, I think it would be awesome if you'd, if you'd heal my dad's arm. And, uh, and I, I would. Uh, and, it, and, it may, and if it's not God's will to do it, I'm so fine with that but I'm not going to quit asking. I think it would be so awesome if God all of a sudden swole that arm up and uh, everybody around would hear about what a great God Jesus is. Um, but that's, that's what it would look like. Verse 2, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they may accuse him. So they watched to see. The original language points out that they kept watching. Basically, they're spying. They're, they're out there. They're looking to see what would happen. Guys, I, I grew up reading Superman comics. Um, I, I grew up watching, uh, watching the old Superman reruns that had been done, I guess, like in the 50s, because that was in the 70s, so they're old at that time. They're really old now. And I got to see, when they first came out, the, the Superman movies, Christopher Reeve. And you definitely need to watch the first one and burn all the rest. Um, but listen, in my mind, a similar scenario with, would be Superman is in an airport, a baggage handler is in a bad accident. Superman grabs him, flies him to the hospital, and the critics denounce Superman for his acts because he didn't have clearance from the tower. Would it be ridiculous? Of course it would. You got these guys are spying. They're just trying to find how in the world can we bring him down? And they go and they find one of the most gracious, most merciful acts, and they're like, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. Makes me makes me wonder uh, what did it, what their motivations were. Why did they oppose Jesus so much? I, I believe it's partly from their desire for influence. Now you add to that, they saw someone rising in influence. Listen, who did not think, talk, or act like them, which is a true pride and prejudice. Now, what about you? Is there anyone rising in influence around you that you want to put down? Is there anyone that you don't like because they don't think like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you, they don't look like you? 
Is there anyone that you keep watching, just hoping that they're going to fail, looking for an opportunity that you can jab them in the back? Is there anybody in your life right now? In a moment, it's recorded that Jesus saw the hardness of their hearts in this. Does Jesus see hardness in your heart toward anyone right now? Is there anybody that you're just hoping, praying maybe, that they would fail? Think. Think about it. If that's the case, you need to go to God first. And you need to say, God, change my heart. I say, God, crush my heart. Change it. Have you already acted out in somebody's life in this way? If you have, you need to, after going to God, you need to go to them. And you say, please forgive me. I was so wrong. And if it's something that you did and they don't even know about it, you need to still go to them. You need to face the music, whatever it is. Man up, woman up. Go to them, ask them to forgive you. It's something maybe you haven't acted out on. Well, go to them if the Lord leads. But I'd say certainly, primarily, have a faith in God that's indicated by your gracious actions that you're now going to take toward that person. Verse 3 and 4. He said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They were silent. They were silent. Guys, I love love this. I love that Jesus doesn't wait for legalists to agree before he acts. I thank God for that because sometimes I'm that guy. Sometimes I'm the guy that would really want to stop God from doing something. I'm so glad he doesn't wait for me to get, it, get my stuff together. I'm so glad he doesn't wait for those critics to get things together, for him to act. Because many times I'm, I'm the guy with the withered hand. He doesn't wait to have to convince everybody. He just sees a need and he goes there. That's Jesus. He loves you that much. He loves you. He sees your withered hand. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Don't, I, I speak to myself, I speak to other young theologians. Don't let your doctrinal stance become a selfish legalism. Be something that stands in the way of mercy and grace. Don't let your stance for the Sabbath or something else become a selfish legalism. Sabbath was made for you, and so rest. But when Jesus gives an opportunity to offer a hand that brings rest to others, do it. Do it. So, but God, that's my, but that's my Saturday. I don't have time for that. When Jesus gives you an opportunity, do it. But Jesus, that's my Sunday. No, it's not. It's His. Just follow Him. Jesus said, or God said, I I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He said, I desire, I mean, you could could say it, that you would say, I desire mercy, not completely correct theology. Just minister. Just love others. Don't get caught up in man-made arguments. Don't let secondary issues take you off course of loving Jesus and loving others. Of shepherding your family and shepherding others. Stay the course. Verse 5. When he looked around them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, 
and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. I'm so grateful that he bypasses all the red tape. And you know what? Sometimes I'm the legalist with the withered hand. Sometimes he drives right past the legalism and just says, you know what? I paid for your legalism too. Be healed. Isn't that great? Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not that even the legalism is like that, the one thing in which God's going to reject you. No, he paid for that too. He brings healing that bypasses any of your sin. Don't let legalism keep you from compassion. Verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, guys, the Herodians and Pharisees, we talked a little bit about them last week. They're totally different sects within Judaism. Uh, The Pharisees were all about theology. The Herodians were all about politics. Um, Different theology, different philosophy, I imagine the agreement they most must have had was that they both wanted to see Jewish autonomy as far as the government instead of Roman rule. But this is this was the point. Sometimes you may have total you may you may live on totally different worlds, and yet your hatred is what brings you together. That is not unity. You know that sometimes that happens in the church. I don't have I don't even have time to unpack that one. It's when hatred becomes this warped and perverse unity that takes place uh, in our life. But um, Jesus didn't follow their politics. Jesus didn't follow their philosophy. Jesus didn't follow their theology. What about you? Do you try to make Jesus fit your politics? Do you try to make Jesus fit your theology? try to make Jesus fit your philosophy and your worldview and the way you want to do things? As a result of this, they decided to destroy Jesus. They made up their minds. Guys, honestly, when Jesus doesn't fit into our worldview and the way we want to do things, there's something, it may be subtle or it may be huge, but something clicks within us that We'd like to see him destroyed in a way. God, help, help us, help me. If we're selfish, we oppose Jesus. If we seek to follow the letter of the law but miss the heart or reject our opportunities, we're opposing Jesus. I want to give you guys just some things to kind of wrap everything up. Um, First of all, is in what ways are you nitpicky with others? You're just looking for them to fall in ways in which maybe you're just offended easily? In areas in which you're never satisfied? Places in which you're critical, always finding something wrong in others? Let me just tell you again your rest declares what you believe about the work of Christ. The way that you treat opportunities to minister to God treats, it shows you what you believe about the work of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the gospel. We can rest because He worked. 
I want to take you, take you back to the, that thing of showbread, the bread of presence. Let me read to you something from Marvin Vincent. He wrote this good, work, good book on word studies. He said this, The wheat was made of the finest wheat and flour that had been passed through 11 sieves. Now, I don't know. Is you, any of you guys bake, bakery, bakes? Yeah. What, 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 what are we looking for? You're a baker. Yeah, that's a hard word, Dave. Anybody in your baker in here? Anybody like to bake? I mean, what would happen? What would happen if you passed flour through eleven different filters? What would that do to to bread? Very thin and light, thin, thin and light, very fluffy. Okay, that's what it sounded like to me in my mind. Very, very light, very fluffy. So that's just just so you kind of know what that what that meant. There were twelve loaves according to the number of tribes, ranged in two piles of six each. Each cake was made of about five pints of wheat. They were anointed in the middle with oil in the form of a cross. In the form of a cross. According to the tradition, each cake was five handbreadths broad and ten long, turned up on its end, two handbreadths on each side to resemble in outline the Ark of the Covenants. The showbread was prepared on Friday unless that day happened to be a feast day that required sabbatical rest in which it was prepared on Thursday afternoon. The renewal of the showbread was the first of the priestly functions on the commencement of the Sabbath. The bread which was taken off was deposited on the golden table in the porch of the sanctuary, distributed among the outgoing and incoming of, uh, of priests. It was eaten during the Sabbath and in the temple itself, but only by such priests as were Levitically pure. This old bread removed on Sabbath morning was that which David ate. And so there's a couple things just to note in there. First of all, I think that the giving of the bread to David symbolized that common man, like you and I, would someday have intimate access to God himself, that the priests would only have at that time. It showed the time was coming. The time of redemption, the time of the cross was going to come. I can't believe it's just unbelievable that they would put this oil on there, and, and for whatever reason, it was it was like a like a cross on it. But guys, can you can you just picture that? Can you just picture that? And it's because the the bread was a symbol of Christ. He is our showbread. He is our bread of life. He is our bread of presence. It's because He's with us, and His life is like that bread with a cross in the middle. And He says. Come to me. Come, all you who are weary and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Why? Because He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. If you're not a follower of Christ, come to Jesus today. Surrender your life to Him. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you so much for just the powerful imagery uh, that, Lord, you are our you are our bread of presence. We thank you for the powerful imagery, Lord, that you go past our legalism and other legalisms to heal us and to love us. And God, we pray that you will show us that it's because of what you did that we can truly rest. We can rest spiritually. We don't have to try to bring, uh, get your approval anymore. We can just proclaim your approval. We don't have to get your forgiveness anymore. We can just live out of your forgiveness. And as a result, God, we can also rest physically. We can rest with our time. We can know that you're our provider. You're our God, not ourselves. We can rest on a weekly basis. We can sleep, Lord. Sleep. We can have peace in our lives because 
God is our God instead of us. Help us to reflect on that. Help us to be transformed by that. Help us to turn to you, our bread of presence. In Jesus' name.